it's Jules and welcome to this episode of All Things Iceland, which is everything you need to know. Basically the ultimate guide to renting a car in Iceland. And I felt like this was such a necessary episode and it's quite lengthy. So I will make sure to have a ton of information in the show notes for people to reference. But renting a car in Iceland can feel kind of tricky to people regarding, first of all, the process of actually getting the car itself and costs and then driving on the road here and understanding things like that. So I want to just break it all down so that you could have this for your travels in the future. And also you could share it with somebody who you know is going to Iceland and might have these questions because there are different variables. And of course, when renting a car or renting anything anywhere, I think you want to make sure that you have kind of a good understanding of what's expected or at least what comes with it. And in Iceland, thankfully, at least in this episode, I have been able to really like narrow it down for you. And I'm really excited to kind of share this information. And as I mentioned in the show notes, which will be at allthingsiceland.com forward slash Iceland dash car dash rental dash guide. You can find pretty much everything that I'm saying here and links, of course. So getting into it though, is it worth it to rent a car in Iceland? I feel like that is the first question. And I guess I wouldn't be making an ultimate guide though, if it wasn't worth it. But in my opinion, so as a person that loves to explore and do things at my own pace, renting a car is the best option for me. And if that is the same as you in terms of that resonates with you, then you've definitely come to the right place. I do think tours are awesome. And there are places, especially where tours could be really necessary for you, especially going to the highlands if you don't feel comfortable crossing rivers and things like that. But the whole point is renting a car just provides this freedom that having tours all the time doesn't allow you to have. And I think that's pretty cool. And so my preference is, you know, more than 95% of the time is to rent a car. So I've broken this episode though down into different sections and in the show notes what I'll have are anchor links. So at the top will be like a table of contents and then you can press on whatever section makes sense for you or whatever area most of interest to you and it will like take you down the page because this is quite lengthy. And I, I did that on purpose just because I wanted to kind of be as thorough about it as possible. First though, I will go over when you should consider booking your car because that's really important season-wise here in Iceland. Then I talk about what to know when picking up your vehicle. After that is what is important for you to keep in mind while driving in Iceland. Next up is what to do when returning your car. And then lastly are the ways in which you can save money when renting your car in Iceland. For those who are not aware, Iceland is pretty expensive in different ways. It's not terrible. I mean, it's one of those things where if you are understanding of it, then you can budget correctly. For some people, budget doesn't matter. So that's awesome. Good for them. That is not everybody in the world. So for those out there that, that do need a budget, this is a great episode, especially for you to be able to write down, figure out time of the year and all that jazz for what you can afford, because that will make a big difference. And of course, I will also have my Icelandic word of the episode and random fact about Iceland sections at the very end. Before I jump into the first section though, I'd like to thank Go Car Rental Iceland for sponsoring this episode. They are a local rental car company based in the Reykjavik area. 
Some of my longtime listeners know that I am very picky about who I collaborate with because it's important that the company is, of course, reputable and brings value to my audience. I personally use Go Car Rental Iceland and I highly recommend them. They have transparent pricing, a great selection of vehicles, and are friendly, which, you know, goes a long way. If you plan to rent with them, you can actually get 10% off your entire rental, which will save you a good chunk of money, especially if you're going to come in high season, when you use my code ICELAND10. And of course, I'll have a link to them and that will be in the show notes too. So I'll be getting into the cost of car rentals in Iceland, of course, just a, a simple comparison so you can see what it is difference wise between renting a car in the high season and in the off shoulder seasons. But just keep that code in mind because who doesn't want to save some money? All right, on to when to book your rental car in Iceland. So, of course, this will all come down to when you plan to visit. But some people actually choose when they're planning to visit based off of costs. And I don't blame them. But if you haven't already booked your trip, then this is where I advise for you to think about what is it really that you want to see in Iceland? So some people say they want to see the Northern Lights. Some people really want to go hiking in the Highlands. Like There's all these different things that people are interested in. The peak season in Iceland is summer, which is June, July, and August. Because renting a vehicle allows you more freedom, and you know many travelers want this option, as I mentioned before, it means that as you get closer to peak season, your choices of rental cars diminish quite a bit. It becomes to the point where you know a lot of people because so many are coming in the summer, especially July, that rental car companies are just like slammed with bookings, which I mean, obviously that works well for them, but not so great for the people who are maybe a little bit later to the game in terms of getting their car. Also though, the cost of the rental cars during high season, especially in July, is so much higher than the rest of the year. So this is not meant to discourage you from coming to Iceland during summer, because first of all, if you want to see the Northern Lights, you can see those in winter or possibly see them in winter. That's just something to keep in mind that summer might not even be the best time for you to come. But I always just think it's important to let you know. I personally think it's great to visit in summer and in winter. And from September to May, there's usually more rental cars available and they're not as expensive as the high season. Of course, once you have your plane tickets and you know that you're going to be renting your car, I highly recommend booking your car as soon as you have that ticket. Some people get their tickets as early as six months ahead of time, but I find that the trend for a lot of people, especially since, you know, deals come out with airlines and whatever else, that they're usually booking within a few months. So that works fine. I think last year, 2021, there was a whole different story because of COVID and there weren't as many cars available, but things have really been changing. Not saying it's completely back to normal, but things have definitely been getting more back on track with Rental car companies having more cars and things available. So you should be able to, if you were to do it a few months in advance, to get a car. But like I said, the earlier, the better, especially when it comes to July. The summer in Iceland is absolutely gorgeous. And just in terms of driving around during this season, I will talk about, of course, driving between, you know, what it's like to drive when you compare winter and summer. But I personally like the fact that in summertime, it's just... There's so much brightness and you can just really drive <laughs> and see so many things. One other factor that, of course, is coming into play is, like I mentioned about COVID, but in a different way. And it's that so many people had delayed their trips 
And so we also are seeing people who are coming, you know, who may, might have wanted to come in 2020, 2021, but are now coming in 2022. So there's such a big uptick. So again, I think as time goes on, we'll see that, you know, I think Iceland though is still becoming and still being quite popular, especially with the exchange rate at the moment. <laughs> it's just working in the favor of those who has the US dollar. But um, it's just really interesting to see how many tourists are back this summer. And of course, like I mentioned, that does mean that less availability of certain cars or maybe even cars in general, depending on the company. So just a quick price comparison between renting a car in Iceland in the high season versus in the off-shoulder season. And I went to go car rental Iceland's website and decided I wanted to see what it would cost to rent a Volkswagen Polo automatic. So from July 27th to July 30th, it's about $556. So that's just three days. From October 11th to the 14th, it's about $189 for three days. Same car, different months. So that's a decent amount of money, over $300 saved just by coming in October as opposed to July. Keep that in mind, like I mentioned, this is just, I don't want to discourage people from coming in July because it is really amazing. But if this is, you know, something where budget is really pushing you in terms of when you will come, then of course you should know that information and just keep it in your back pocket. So regarding what is needed to rent a car in Iceland, thankfully it's pretty simple here. You can easily do it online. I'll have a link for you in the show notes. And you basically need a valid driver's license, a credit card or a debit card, and meet the age criteria. So in Iceland, you must be at least 20 years old to rent a car. And that's specifically for a two-wheel drive. If you want to rent a four-wheel drive or a van, then you must be 23 years of age or older. So many car rental companies have a similar policy, but I'm just referencing the one from Go Car Rental as an example. So in essence, if your valid driver's license is written in English or has Western alphabetical letters, you're fine. However, if it does not, then a translated copy of the license in English should be provided. If it can't be provided, then you need international driver's license. Super simple. Now on to what type of rental car is right for you in Iceland. So the type of rental cars that you will typically find are, of course, two-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, vans, and camper vans. There are a decent amount of manual cars here, but thankfully, there are also a lot of automatic cars, especially for those that need that option. I'm not a fan of driving manual, nothing against it. I just like doing less work when I'm driving, so it's nice to have an automatic. The great news is that if you plan to just drive around Iceland's Ring Road and go to some of the most popular attractions here then you only need a two-wheel drive. Four-wheel drive is great for people that plan to go into the highlands, which requires you to drive on F roads. Those are mountain roads. Some people also like to rent a four-wheel drive during winter, but two-wheel drive cars do just fine here during winter as well. One important thing to know is that rental car companies in Iceland put studded tires on the cars during the winter season. So this is what helps, you know, whether you're driving a two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive terms of traction. Well, I know that especially if you want to go into the highlands, you have to have a four-wheel drive also because of insurance. So those cars are insured for driving on F roads or what they're called. And I'll explain what those are later. Um, basically the, the mountain roads for the highlands in essence. The point is 
if you're if that was your goal too in summertime was to go into the highlands then you do need a four-wheel drive for that specific reason just so that you would actually be covered the ring road around iceland is asphalt there are some gravel roads in certain areas that you might want to visit and that is fine uh you would still be covered on on gravel roads as long as you have gravel insurance uh in your package and i will go into of course the insurance part coming up very soon so for the most part though in that regard those are kind of some of the main differences between those cars and then there's of course the camper van that i mentioned and that's a great budget-friendly option for those who want to have their accommodation their transportation you know a lot of stuff kind of mixed into one and go car rental actually has a sister company called go campers so i'll have a link to that my discount code for 10% doesn't apply to camper vans, but of course you can still check them out if you're looking to book that type of vehicle. I traveled via a camper van around Iceland for two weeks at one, on one occasion. I'm actually having an episode coming up about that soon. And then for a few days, the Westman Islands, and I did enjoy it. But of course, you know, it's not for everybody, <laughs> which I understand. And honestly, like I, I while I like the camper van, lifestyle. I still really like sleeping in a regular bed. <laughs> it's just life, but it was a really fun adventure. And I look forward to sharing more about that coming up in a future episode. One of the questions I probably get asked the most about renting a car in Iceland is if the additional insurance is necessary. Personally, I always opt for it because I know that Icelandic weather can vary and result in damage to the car that is really out of your control. So I'll give you an example of this, the sand and ash protection. Iceland is notorious for being windy and not just like a little windy, but like sometimes it could be hurricane gale force winds. Of course, that's usually during a storm, but I wouldn't be surprised. I've heard actually from many people that I talk to because I do like one-on-one consultations for trip planning. And I've heard so many people who have come to Iceland before and we were chatting and they were just like, I'm so surprised how windy it is. And it's like, yeah. And that's usually pretty constant. Like if you get a still day in Iceland, it's a miracle. Take full advantage of that because it's amazing. (laughs) But during a windstorm or just a really windy day, it's possible for the wind to pick up sand and ash and blow it onto your car and it scrapes the paint off the car in like different places. Of course, it's not always just like a full clean sweep, but also in extremely windy conditions, stones and things can be thrown and Windows and lights can be broken and windstorms can happen any time of the year in Iceland. This is not just a winter thing. Summertime it happens. We've already had a yellow alert, I believe it was, this summer in July. So it's very possible and unfortunate that that's the case to a certain degree, but that's part of what makes Iceland unique. And just, you know, in terms of renters though, it's kind of annoying. I'm going to have to think about protecting your, you know, rental car doing a a possible storm like this. So no one really knows the likelihood though of it happening, meaning like these types of storms happening during your trip. It might be that you come and you don't encounter any of that, but I'm just one of those people that errs on the side of caution. So this is more about like just giving you information so that you know about it, what's possible. And then you just decide for yourself if you want to have the additional insurance or not. Of course, it varies among rental car companies as to what insurance is covered. But since I'm using Go Car Rental Iceland as an example, they include CDW, which is like collision damage waiver, and then SCDW, which is super collision damage waiver and gravel protection. So I don't 
believe from my experience <laughs> with rental cars that every car company includes gravel protection. And this is that, you know, when you're driving on a road that could be a gravel road or even not, but a rock or something hits your windshield and cracks the windshield or cracks a light or whatever else, gravel protection protects you from that, meaning it will cover that, which that cost can get quite expensive. So they include those things. However, uh, they don't include sand and ash protection. So again, like I mentioned, just information for you to be aware of. Always read the fine print for whatever company that you're using, just because you it's good to know what's included and how much you'll have to come out of pocket if you don't actually have that insurance and you know something unfortunately happens. Another option though for insurance for your car is if your credit card includes insurance coverage on rental vehicles. And that's something to look into if you have a credit card. And I highly recommend just checking with them first about what is covered. If you decide to use the insurance of your credit card, then you have to decline the insurance from the rental car company. I would be very surprised if sand and ash, as well as gravel protection, are included on, on a credit card, but you never know. That's why I would specifically ask them about these things. And if you're renting with the company, that includes everything except sand and ash. Uh, honestly, I think that's a great deal. And cost-wise, is actually not bad at all. Mileage limits on rental cars in Iceland. Again, with fine print and all of that that's worth reading just regarding this topic, I find it really annoying if a company has mileage limits on your rental car. Just because... In Iceland, it's so easy to drive around the Ring Road to West Fjords, all these places. And it's a decent amount of miles, decent amount of kilometers. And I wouldn't want to feel restricted in being able to go wherever I wanted during the time period that I have the car. Because as an individual that's, like I mentioned, like having that freedom, I could decide, okay, I'm going to, but maybe the weather in this region is not so great today. So I'm going to continue on and go somewhere else. And that has happened for me. So knowing that, you know, a certain mileage limit, I would be paying extra once I got back would annoy me. <laughs> so I just recommend going with a company that has unlimited mileage on the vehicle. And most companies, they have unlimited mileage for short-term rentals, which are rentals that are less than a month. So most people who are coming, most travelers to Iceland are only coming for up to two weeks. So this really doesn't pose an issue for them. My Advice is just to double check that the mileage is unlimited so you can freely drive to as many places as you want without hesitation. Now that you have an overview of what to know and look for when booking your car, let's move on to literally picking up your rental in Iceland. So for many people, in fact, the vast majority of people coming into Iceland, international flights, you're going to be landing at Keplavik Airport, which is on the Reykjanes Peninsula. And many people opt for getting their car picked up there. But some companies have shuttles to and from Reykjavik for free, such as Go Car Rental. And so you can pick your car up from there. Uh, but of course, if you opt to have picked up from Keplavik, that means when you come out of the airport, then your car will be there. Honestly, for me, it just kind of depends on where your car rental company is located and their policies. So looking through their like FAQs or just what's included, maybe you have to pay a small fee if you get it at Keplavik, if they're based in Reykjavik or whatever, you know, or if you want it in Reykjavik and they're based in Keplavik, like it can really just depend. <laughs> so just kind of keep that in mind. 
when you're picking where you want to get your car, but it is pretty common for people to get it in Capri. Inspecting your car, like I think anywhere else in the world, when you rent a car is super important just so that you are not held accountable for something that you didn't do. And so one of the most important parts is, you know, just being meticulous. So agents like at Go Car Rental, for instance, like, of course, they check it out before you actually get the car. But it is your responsibility to go over, take pictures, videos. I do that with any car and every car that I rent, just because, like I mentioned, like, I don't want to be held responsible for a dent in the car, or maybe there is a small crack in the windshield, whatever it is. And even if that's covered under insurance, it's still good to let them know that you know. And if there is anything functional-wise with the, com- with the car that doesn't work, then you can let them know that and possibly get another car. Um, I wouldn't say that I've experienced any shady behavior with car owner companies in Iceland, just personally, but I have heard of people who have. So it's always good to go with a reputable company as well. But of course, I have encountered some different things. So... Being from the U.S. and living in Iceland, it has been quite the experience renting cars or even owning a car that's from Europe. I have a Renault Megane and it's a French car. And so there are some aspects of this car that are a little bit different than, you know, what I might have encountered in the U.S. Granted, to be fair, as a person who is a native New Yorker, literally growing up in Brooklyn, New York, I didn't drive very often. I mean, taking public transport was the way that the majority of people got around. And so I was like that. So I wasn't actually driving until my 20s. And now that I'm in my 30s and living in Iceland, driving makes a lot more sense for me. But there were some things I had to get used to. So of course, when you get into the car, I highly recommend testing out how to turn it on and off, how to work the windshield wipers, the turn signals, how to change the settings for lights and so on. Because it is so annoying when you're out on the road and you're just like, wait, what about this? What about that? <laughs> and like I mentioned, taking photos and videos. Also to make sure if the car has any warnings popping up. This actually happened to me once with a camper van, funny enough. And I ended up calling the company and they're like, no, it's okay. But I'd already left the place and was like 40 minutes away, you know? And so for me, just being mindful because when you get into something new, you're often just like so excited and not really paying attention to everything. And it could not be anything serious, but maybe it is. And who wants to be in a car that is about to have issues or already has an issue that was kind of warning you, but you just didn't see it, you know? And it's especially for those people who are on that red eye flight that comes in at like six or seven in the morning, it's harder to focus. So I'm just kind of giving you some things to keep in mind as much as you can, given the conditions of maybe not have slept as much on the plane and then, you know, picking up your rental car. Lastly, checking the tires of the car is really important, especially in the wintertime here, but of course, anytime and that they're in good condition. So I'll have a link actually to this coin test where you can check the tread and in the U.S. it's a penny that's used to check to make sure that there's enough tread on it. And if you're from the UK, it's like a 20 pence coin or maybe for Euro coins, I don't really know which one it would be, but something of that equivalent size slash width. And so just something to keep in mind. Also, I mean, tread in any conditions is really important, but especially here where it can rain a decent amount, uh, there can be snow and ice and things of that nature. It's just important to know. And then on gravel roads, if those are a little bit wet and there's loose rocks, it's so much easier to lose control. 
So making sure that your tires are in good condition before taking off definitely is recommended. When it comes to driving around Iceland, this is something that a lot of people are concerned about and I, I do understand, but it is very simple and easy. So if you're from a place where you drive on the right side of the road, you'll be happy to know that Iceland does the same. So in the US, drive on the right side, same in Iceland. Maybe people from other places, it might be a little bit more challenging, but that is how it's operated here. And there's literally one road, it's called Road 1, <laughs> that goes around the whole country. And of course, there are places like in the West Fjords where you have to go off of Road 1 to get to there and stuff. But a lot of the main attractions that people are used to are on Road 1. I do recommend, of course, going to places like the West Fjords or East Fjords and all these areas. But if you're just doing a round trip in Iceland, this Road 1 is asphalt, very easy to navigate. Most of the popular attractions are just a turn off of this road. It's nothing really complicated. Nevertheless, though, having some type of navigation system is highly recommended. Some people opt to download Iceland on Google Maps. So they download it onto their phone when they have like Wi-Fi or internet connection and they use navigation that way. So they don't need the internet. Another option for you, though, I think it could be really helpful. While I think that can be a good option regarding having Google Maps on your phone, I like having phone service or at least Wi-Fi so I can look things up, check social media and so on. But I'm going to get into like choosing Wi-Fi versus GPS on your rental car. So in one minute or so that will happen. But I want to say before heading out on your adventure to drive around Iceland in your rental car, always make sure to check the conditions of the road and weather before leaving. So I recommend checking safetravel.is for weather warnings and road.is for road closures. They're both free sites and they are updated daily with any types of weather conditions and warnings and of course road closures because of that or because of flooding like you just never know. The worst thing is to head out and not know the conditions and then you run into a severe storm which could be deadly for you or for others who have to come and rescue you. And those are volunteer organizations. So these uh, Icelandic search and rescue teams, they're completely volunteer led. And while it's amazing that they go out and, and help, you can help them to stay safe too if you know the conditions beforehand and don't go out into dangerous conditions that, like I mentioned, could potentially put you in danger and then them. Uh, the other thing, of course, a closed road is suck to get there and you can't actually go any farther. So just knowing about it beforehand saves you stress in that regard. And then you can adjust your plans however you need to for that day or how many, like how the amount of time in essence in which the weather warning is in effect. So, okay. Choosing GPS or Wi-Fi for your rental car. Most rental car companies give you the option of purchasing this. And I honestly just go with Wi-Fi if I were to need it because you can use other apps. So of course you can use Google Maps, but then you can have other access to other things on your device. And as a person who's probably just super connected to the internet, probably spend way too much time in there on like Instagram and TikTok and stuff, mainly because I post, but also because it's entertaining, I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> that I often find myself going the Wi-Fi option. But there are some people who they check, and I think this is great, with your phone service in the country that you're coming from. So whether that's your home country or just happens to be where you live and seeing if their phone service provider has an inexpensive international plan. So I'll just say for me, like if I were to go to other parts of Europe, the phone 
plan that I have works in other parts of Europe. I don't even have to ask. That's just already part of it. But if you're from the U.S. or somewhere in North America or South America, who knows, like maybe there are international plans that cover certain areas and possibly Iceland is one of them. And if it's not expensive, that could be a really good one as well, because then you don't have to worry about a SIM card, which some people do buy SIM cards here in Iceland, which is, of course, you know, totally up to them, if that makes sense. And I have actually some links to companies in Iceland who sell you know, data and minutes and stuff like that in order for you to be able to have that service. And it's usually for like 30 days of service if you were to use it. I'm not a big fan of having to switch out SIM cards just because I don't want to possibly lose my other one. So if you can go the route of either buying an international plan or just getting like the Wi-Fi that rental car companies have, I mean, just see which one is less expensive, then that could be a good option for you. Something to check out and, you know, you could do your own price comparisons, of course. So heading out and driving, it is paramount to know that speed limits in Iceland might come as a surprise to you. So if not posted, meaning you don't see a sign anywhere, then the general speed limit for cars in Iceland is 50 kilometers per hour, which is about 31 miles per hour. And this is in urban areas. If a place is scarcely populated, it's common to see 70 kilometers per hour or about 43 miles per hour. Some highways and gravel roads are 80 kilometers per hour, so 50 miles per hour. And in many country roads, like Road 1, for instance, a lot of that is 90 kilometers per hour, or about 55 miles per hour. Lastly, some residential areas, which I have to mention, are a speed of 30 kilometers per hour or 90 miles per hour. And you'll see those posted for sure. So just make sure that you're paying attention to that. But depending on where you're coming from, these speed limits might sound slow. And they are, honestly. <laughs> I remember driving like 80 on, you know, an 80 road and being like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is a highway. It feels like it's taking forever. But and that's what it is. And when you're out on the open road and there are hardly any cars around, of course, it can feel really slow and you might be tempted to go much faster. However, the speeding tickets here are a big incentive not to. And it's also just not fun to be pulled over by the police or get caught in the speed trap, which is my next section. And there are two types of speed traps in Iceland. The first is the old fashioned way in which a police officer, like a police car is parked with a speed reader and, you know, maybe they're hidden. Sometimes they're very obvious, like in my opinion, that there's plenty of places in the Reykjavik area where it's kind of like their spots and they just sit there. And I feel like that's more about controlling people's speed because they know people can see them. So it's not trying to necessarily give people tickets. It just doesn't feel that way to me because it's so obvious. But in the on the countryside, it might be behind like a bend. So you're coming around fast and you wouldn't be able to see them and then they could would be able to catch you. But the second type of speed traps is a camera. And there are speed cameras placed at certain parts in urban areas like Reykjavik and also along Road 1, like in the countryside. So unlike the first kind of speed trap, you're warned with a sign. So in Iceland, there's a sign that tells you, and I'm going to have a picture of this in the show notes. It's basically, it looks like an old fashioned camera that a speed camera is coming up. <laughs> and I was just like, hmm, that is very considerate to let people know. And which is good because when you get to the speed camera, you, it's usually like you're supposed to be going 90. 
uh, whatever is posted, of course. And it's just like a certain section in which the speed camera obviously could catch you or not. And then once you're past that, and most people are slowing down even more than what the speed <laughs> limit is just to be extra safe. But a speed, speeding ticket in Iceland can range from 30,000 Icelandic kroner to 150,000 Icelandic kroner. So we're talking $220 to over $1,000. Not cheap. And that's, of course, according to this exchange rate, which, like I mentioned, the dollar is so much stronger than the kroner right now. So if the kroner were to become stronger, then it gets even worse in terms of rate that you could pay. But of course, the price of how much you pay for the ticket depends on how much you're speeding over the limit. So the more you're speeding over the limit, the higher the ticket is. And they're high on purpose. Like I mentioned, they're trying to discourage people from going too fast. And for some people, a $1,000 speeding ticket is a big chunk of their budget for Iceland. So just don't recommend speeding. But if you do happen to get a speeding ticket, let's talk about what would happen. So in essence, if you're caught by a police officer, you can pay on the spot and get a discount, right? Isn't that kind of an interesting concept? It's like, yeah, it's this amount, but if you pay right now with their like, you know, card readers, then I think it's about 25%. I mean, this is what I've read. And I was trying to find another part on their website just to double check this, but this is the information that I currently have. If it is any different, I'll put it in the show notes, but I believe it's 25%. Another option, if you're caught by the police, is to pay later, but then you won't get a discount. If you are caught by a speed camera and you get the ticket in the mail, you are normally given a certain time period to pay the ticket with a discount. So let's just say you get a speed ticket, right? It's theoretical. I hope they don't. Knock on wood that it doesn't happen to you. When a person does not pay the ticket on their rental car, of course, the rental car company will have to pay it and they have your information. And on top of them paying for that ticket, there's also an additional charge for them having to to do that. So if you get home and you have a speeding ticket in the mail, just make sure to pay it. I mean, there is the potential to dispute it if it were a speed camera, but I don't know the likelihood of that working out in your favor, especially if you're in another country, then, you know, you get it in your home country, the ticket. So it is one of those things where just... Just pay it, honestly. I guess, though, if we're like the wrong license plate or something, you can pay attention to those things. But overall, I don't think it's a high chance that you'd be able to get out of the ticket. That's just as far as I know. And in terms of road signs, I have some pictures of road signs in the show notes, and I'll just go over some of them. So, like a single lane bridge, some of them that might be kind of unfamiliar to many people. So, a single lane bridge. And when you come up, to a single lane bridge, it's usually one or the other. So the first person that gets to the bridge is usually the first person that go through that goes through it or goes over it. And then the next person goes and then so on and so forth. It is this back and forth. In a single lane tunnel, which scares the crap out of a lot of people, and honestly, it scared me when I first heard about it, is really interesting. So there is a, of course, sign talking about a single lane tunnel coming up. And there are not very many of them in Iceland, by the way. Once you go to like certain areas, they're they're there. But like this, a good chance you actually won't even encounter this. But if you do, this is what you should know. So if you're driving through the tunnel and you see a sign M in an area to pull over, that means that in this single lane tunnel, you're the one who gives the right of way. 
but hopefully that makes sense. And you just pull over and the car goes by and it might be a couple of cars that go by. Then you end up, you know, going back onto the road again in the tunnel. And if someone else comes, it's kind of the same song and dance. It is not that scary. It sounds scary. I know, <laughs> but it's really not that scary. And it's actually kind of fascinating uh, going through these tunnels. And there's, there's usually not as many people who are doing this either. So it's not like you'd be waiting for a very long time. Just to keep that in mind. Another sign, uh, which is more common, are for roundabouts. And roundabouts in Iceland, when there are two lanes in the roundabout, the inner lane has the right of way. So just keep that in mind. For some people who are in other parts of Europe, this sounds odd because it's the opposite. Usually the outer lane has the right of way. But just know that the inner lane does. I actually encountered someone the other day who was in the outer lane and went anyway. And I knew they were a rental, like person in a rental car. Uh, and I had been paying attention. So I didn't continue driving, even though I technically had the right of way. But they were confidently going as if it was no big deal. And I was just like, yeah. I'm glad I paid attention to this because that could have been an accident just because I knew that I was supposed to have the right of way. But, you know, just being aware of your surroundings and, you know, just always looking. If you have to stop in the roundabout, people are used to that. That happens. But for the most part, the simple rule in Iceland is that even if it's, you know, kind of backward <laughs> from what you might know from depending on where you're from. OK, and I have other signs, of course that are like, you know, sheep and all that stuff. And then I have a link to where you can find all the signs in Iceland. Just some of them are a lot more interesting. Like there's the, the blind hill sign that you should be very, very aware of because it, it can happen where there's a head-on collision because of this blind hill. People are coming from both sides and maybe, you know, someone's more in, in the middle of the road than they should be or something like this going too fast, all of that jazz. But this is just more for precautions. Honestly, it doesn't really happen that much. It's just trying to make sure that you're aware of what's possible. Okay. Where to pay or you have to pay for parking in Iceland because this does happen in certain places. And I think it's just, you know, good so that you don't get parking fines because those are annoying. And in Reykjavik, for instance, there are certain streets in the downtown area where it's required for you to pay to park. It's normally from Monday to Friday between 9am to 6pm. And on Saturday from 10am to 6pm, Sunday is normally when you do not have to pay any type of parking ticket or, you know, time to park or whatever. There are four parking zones and they're labeled P1, P2, P3, and P4. And there's like blue signs with these wherever you're at, just so you know. And that's important because P1, for instance, is more expensive to park in a P1 zone than it is in a P4 zone, you know? And just knowing that if you were to go to the meter helps you in terms of cost. And I have it all kind of out laid out in the show notes so you can see that. There are physical parking meters where you can actually pay on the streets, but I suggest using an app and that's because it's easier, faster, and it could be that the parking meter isn't working and then you have to find another one. It's kind of annoying. So there are two apps I'm aware of. One is EasyPark and the other one is Parka.is. I use EasyPark for Reykjavik, just because I like the interface, like the experience better. Parka.is is also used at Vatnajökull National Park and for parking in Akureyri, which is in the north. So Parka could be just one, you know, instead of having both of those, you just have that one since it would 
come in handy, especially if you're going to travel to the north or travel to Botanyokut. Both are amazing places. So, you know, if you're going around Ring Road, why not go there? And in other places where you have to pay for parking, for instance, like Tingvetlir National Park, they have machines that you can use your car to pay and then you get like a physical receipt. And tolls that you have to pay in Iceland. There's only one, thankfully. And that's for a tunnel in North Iceland. And you can actually prepay this. So in Icelandic Kroner, it's 1500 ISK per trip. So like per time you're going through the tunnel. And that's for cars under 3.5 tons, which basically if you're not a truck, a small truck, then you're under 3.5 tons. So you're fine. And you can opt to pay 24 hours before the trip or 24 hours after if you've already gone through. If you drive through without paying the toll, of course, a bill will be sent to the registered owner of the vehicle, so the rental car company, and there will be an additional fee on top, like a collection fee on top of that 1500 ISK. And of course, there's a way you can do this online, whether it's you know through an app or whatever, and I have a link to that in the show notes. If something were to happen and you needed roadside assistance for your car, first of all, the emergency number in Iceland is 112. So I'm just going to say that if it's something like extreme emergency, call 112. However, if it's something like changing a tire or with your engine or those things, then of course, calling the rental car company and roadside assistance varies for each company, like what they do, how they help you. I know that, you know, just as the example, since we're, I've been talking about Go Car Rental Iceland, they have 24-hour roadside assistance. And if you contact them between 8 and 7, then you get someone at the desk that can like guide you and help you. After those hours, though, it goes to like a third party, but you still get assistance. I've been asked before about fixing a tire and whether or not I send a companies, rental car companies come out and do that for you. And I thought the answer was like super helpful because... It helped me to understand that like in Iceland, cost of labor, for instance, is quite expensive. And while some of us might be used to it, like for instance, I have what would be considered like AAA, but in Iceland, but it's for my car that I own, not for a rental car. And so obviously that's included, but for a rental car, if it were, if you were to have a puncture, you need to have your tire changed and you didn't know how to do it yourself, it can actually get quite expensive of a cost for the renter. And you might end up paying somewhere close to 100,000 ISK or like $700 with this current exchange rate. So most car companies here, they guide you through changing the tire if you're not aware how to do it yourself. But, you know, that's just something to kind of keep in mind. And it's not that rental car companies wouldn't want to have this option, but it is so expensive because of labor costs and that the mechanic charges a certain amount per kilometer that they have to travel to get to you. So if you're out in some area that's really far away from like urban, you know, the urban area or whatever, and they'd have to take a long time to get to you, that just mounts on the cost of what they would charge in order just to get to you. And then there's a charge of actually fixing the tire. When it comes to getting fuel for your rental car in Iceland, this is definitely some helpful information because cost, first of all, and then also just knowing what type of fuel. So in the US, I think some people had mentioned that gas is actually a different handle color. Well, just know that in Iceland, benzene, which means gas, is green. The handle's green. And then diesel, which is diesel, is a black handle. 
And of course, like on your car, it will be listed. So just keep that in mind. That's some people have unfortunately made that mistake. And I'm not laughing because it's funny, but like it's really unfortunate when that happens and not fun, but it's pretty well labeled anyway. And when it comes to being out on the countryside, uh, I don't like to let my tank get below a quarter of a tank just because, you I mean, the next gas station isn't usually that far away, but it could be a fair distance when you're in places where there aren't as many people living in the area. So, of course, there's not gas station like readily available for whatever amount of kilometers. If you are planning to drive into the highlands, definitely make sure that you have a full tank because there aren't places for you to fill up. And that would not be fun to have to call in to get help in the highlands. It probably isn't even extra of a cost. And then sometimes even like service out there can be a little spotty and stuff like that. So just be aware of that. Going to the highlands is so much fun, but there's just like little precautions you need to take. On to gas prices. So as of this recording, the lowest gas price I found was 314 Eisade Kroner per liter which is $2.14 per liter with the current exchange that I found. In U.S. gallons, that is $8.11 per gallon, which is quite a lot. I mean, in the U.S., I know that people have been dealing with surge in gas prices, but even, you know, I think there's like $4.50, maybe it went up even to $5 some places. But yeah, $8 can be quite a lot. This price can go up or down depending on the exchange rates and cost of fuel. So it does seem like fuel costs might be going down, but again, I mean, exchange rate could change so that it's just a ballpark figure really is what I'm getting at just for you to know kind of for your budget if you are making one. And diesel was pretty similar. It was a little bit more expensive, but I have a, a car, for instance, that runs on diesel and it's pretty efficient. Like I... Don't have to fill up that often. And granted, I'm not always going out all the time, but even still. And if you end up getting a hybrid car, then of course you can be able to utilize that and not have to pay as much for gas. I know a lot of people are interested in electric cars, and it's not that in Iceland there aren't, I mean, there definitely are electric cars. But the only issue is when you're going around the country, while there are ports for charging your car. There are just not that many of them to be able to accommodate if, say, like the amount of tourists, the majority of them were wanting to, you know, charge their car. So that's just an infrastructure problem more so than anything else. But I liked when I went on a trip to Querdaler, for instance, I got a hybrid car from Go Car Rental and that was awesome. And I went in Querdaler is in Central Highlands of Iceland. So, so there are, of course, ways that you can be able to save. And I have a couple more of those ideas that I'm going to share with you as we get more towards the end of the episode. Winter versus summer driving in Iceland. And these are just some factors to take into account for those particular seasons so that you know, depending on when you decide to rent your car. Summer in Iceland, like I mentioned, super popular. What's great about it in my opinion, is that there's 24-hour bright days in June, July, and parts of August. You don't have to worry about it being dark on the road. And so that just kind of gets rid of that hazard. And on many roads outside of Iceland, though, one hazard you definitely need to look out for are sheep. And (laughs) it might sound weird, right? It's almost like a silly-sounding horror movie or something. (laughs) But 
the sheep are allowed to roam freely in, in a lot of areas, not everywhere in Iceland. And often they will be roaming alongside the road, sometimes laying like right next to like the asphalt, walking across it whenever they feel like it. They do have the right of way. So just FYI. And the best advice is to slow down or even stop. If you see a sheep or a lamb come close to the road, they might just run across without giving you that much of an indication. Definitely, if a lamb is on one side of the road and the mother is on the other, just expect that it's going to cross. So you might have to stop. And that's okay. And, you know, you stop and just enjoy these <laughs> cute animals just living their life out in the Icelandic wilderness. The other hazard, uh, besides potentially other tourists stopping in the middle of the road, which does happen, are birds. So birds in Iceland seem to have a little bit of like an evil Knievel type of energy going on, almost like a death wish. I don't know. It's something about it. Just, I don't understand. And that's because they will actively fly in front of your car during the summer. I've never seen this happen in winter. And I don't understand why they do this. It's like you're driving and all of a sudden it just swoops down in front of the car as if it's trying to see if it can beat the car's speed or something like that. And even sometimes with the window, I've seen birds come almost smack dab into the windshield. And it's pretty frightening as a driver because you don't want to hit any of them. And yet they seem to be actively trying to, I don't know, be daredevils. So, and unfortunately, some of them don't make it. I mean, that's just odds, you know, in terms of how many birds are doing this. But just be aware and that it could happen so quickly that it's hard to react. And it, it might end in a result where the bird gets either injured or, you know, doesn't make it. But that is something that happens. And of course, during the season, windstorms can happen. So again, just always make sure you check uh, if you are in a place where it wasn't expected to be so windy, but it just kind of pick up. It's just something to be mindful of. Maybe you have to stop, you know, or even like downpour of rain or something like that. Winter in Iceland driving, the conditions, of course, can be a lot more challenging than in summer, especially if there's been a bad storm or it's just really stormy season, lots of ice and snow on the ground. And one big factor to consider, so you have in summertime, I mentioned 24-hour brightness, but now in the winter season, the daylight hours have diminished so much and we have really short days. That totally impacts the number of places you can visit in a day because you literally just don't have the daylight for it. So I recommend using, and I have a link in the show notes to this website that shows you like the daylight hours for each day and it's for winter and summer just so you can have an idea and it helps you to plan your trip so it's like if you come during a time where there's only six hours of daylight you know you can kind of plan your trip that way because honestly it's not too much fun driving in total darkness and I mean that meaning of course you have headlights but in a lot of country roads there are not lamps everywhere on the road which means you'd have to use your high beams in some areas and that can get tiring, like, you know, having to turn them on and off. I have nothing against driving at night. It's just, it causes, you know, potentially more hazard because ascending roads can be narrow as well. So you might find yourself coming up against like trucks that are going kind of fast and, you know, spraying some snow or ice or whatever on your car and all that jazz. As I'd mentioned before, rental car companies put spikes on the tires, so spike tires, and that helps a lot with traction. But you still need to go at a speed that you feel like you can handle with the car because it's still winter and things can still happen regarding sliding or being slippery or just road conditions that are not the best. 
And of course, snow and windstorms can happen during the season. Sometimes they're combined, which could be extra intense. And uh, it happens usually every winter. There are people who get stuck on the road because of storms. So please take heed and check the weather before heading out. I'd like to talk a little bit about F Road to just kind of include that in here, just because I highly recommend if you want to see the highlands that, you know, you take that opportunity if you can. Now, granted, there are some places, and I have an episode coming up about Quera Dalir that I mentioned, because it's, it was actually very easy to get to. I thoroughly enjoyed that drive. There wasn't a river crossing. There was like a puddle. <laughs> but on F roads, so the F stands for Fiat, and that means mountain. So mountain road, and that's why I've been calling it that. And it's just fascinating to go out there. First of all, amazing nature, really varied, gorgeous mountains, black deserts. You have you know, rivers that have like these patterns in them and everything. It's just, ah, it's so good. And you can just see parts of the country that most people never see. So I am thoroughly a big fan of the highlands. But of course, F-roads can pose some issues because first of all, you can't go on it with a two-wheel drive. They're not insured for that. Four-wheel drive, you have to, just reiterating that point. And also you might have to cross rivers. And this can vary in terms of some areas. The river is not that deep. And it's not that big of a deal. Like if you're going to Thorsmörk, then the river Thjörsau, it can be very deep, especially if there's been like a lot more water, or like rain or melting. And people, unfortunately, have had their cars swept away, like they were in them or stuck or drowned the car or whatever. So it is just really important, first of all, to know how to read a river. And I'm going to do a video about this just because I want to, you know, in my own way, be able to add to people's knowledge about this. I'm not an expert in that. It's just more about I'm a person who likes to go out to places and do things and have as much information as I can to make an informed decision and have a great time. Like safety is just always number one. And the adventure sometimes, you know, it takes you to places that can be a little bit, uh, you know, fun, but challenging. So on the effort though, just be aware that, you know, you might have to go like, you know, a pretty slow pace, even in a four wheel drive, because the roads have potholes in them, lots of rocks, and it could just, you know, also be windy roads and things like this. Like there are so many different, and like I mentioned, rivers. So these are, and then when you're coming up against another car going in the opposite direction, or you're passing a car, just making sure you're going slower so that you're not throwing rocks on their car. Same with gravel roads. Like these are just important courtesy things to know, but also just on these roads where you're going to come up against. And time-wise, it will take a long time to drive on those roads because they're just a lot more difficult. They have a lot more going on <laughs> than uh, asphalt road. And that's really all part of the adventure in my humble opinion. But uh, I'm a big fan. And so I hope for all people who want to go into the Highlands, if you decide to rent a car, definitely go for it. Know what you're doing first, though, of course, or just understand. And then if you want to take a tour, that's great, too. There are professionals who are so used to driving through rivers, like it's like second nature to them. So There's always these different options. But just know that renting a car is definitely one of them. And it doesn't have to be scary. And I'm getting so much more used to doing it now. And I, I absolutely love it. And I'm kind of becoming like <laughs> this Highland seeker of adventures. You know, it's like, where am I going to go next? And I've been planning some really fun trips. So if you're following me on Instagram or TikTok, you'll probably see some of them. And of course, you know, on the 
podcasts I talk about, I will be talking about them and as well as on YouTube. So to end off this section of driving in Iceland, I'm just going to point out some really important things for you to keep in mind while you're driving your rental car. But don't be surprised if you come up against a narrow road. And yes, the scenery around you might be absolutely drop dead gorgeous. However, stopping in the middle of the road to take pictures or videos is extremely dangerous. And I feel like you're probably some people listen to this like, oh, of course. And it's like, but it happens every year that people do this and it poses a potential threat in terms of them getting, you know, hits or, you know, just something happening that can be dangerous. So, of course, please make sure that you pull over to the side of the road, find a safe place for you to pull over if that is even possible, just to be able to avoid any potential accidents. And yeah, try your best to, to be careful in that way. One thing I hadn't mentioned yet regarding the wind is getting out of your car and not letting the doors blow off or get damaged due to the wind. Like, it might sound crazy, but that is a legitimate problem. And it happens to people who live in Iceland, who visit. Like, it's it's one of those things where if you don't know to hold on to the door, it can legitimately bend the other way or even, like, fly off. This has happened to people. And that is very expensive. And I don't believe that's covered by insurance. So you definitely don't want that to happen. So one way to mitigate that is to hold on to the doors when opening them, but also not opening two doors at the same time or, or all the doors at the same time. So basically opening, like one, if you say you're in a car and it's three of you, two people in the front, one in the back, right? Or even four. One at a time gets out of the car so that the wind isn't kind of coming through the car as well. And potentially picking up speed and, you know, damaging other doors. And you're holding onto your door as you get out of the car. You continue holding onto it till you close it. And then the next person goes. And it might even happen that depending on the wind direction and how you've parked, that you might have to help other people. Like I've, I've had to do this where I've gotten used to the wind and I was able to open my car door. But my aunt and her friend were visiting. They were struggling to get the door open on their side. So I had to legitimately go over there because the wind was pushing on their door in that case. So yeah, that is a possibility. And so very important to know. Off-roading is illegal in Iceland and you will get heavily fined if you're a cult. So when I talk about, you know, F-roads and those are roads, those are paths that you're supposed to be on. They have been designated for you to drive on. It's no problem. F-road is not off-road driving. Off-road driving is literally you're just decided to literally go off of the path, whether it's asphalt, gravel, F-road, and you're driving on moss or just driving in, you know, black sand or whatever. It's not okay. Don't do it. The fines suck. And it's even worse if you get like their car stuck somewhere, maybe in the mud or whatever else. So like the fine would be a lot. And then for you to be towed out of that situation is a lot. I heard of a person having to pay a thousand dollars for getting towed out of the mud in some area in the south. And that was mainly because it was over Easter weekend. So holiday weekends, of course, can be really expensive too. It's required that your headlights are always on in Iceland, even during summer. And I know, yes, it's 24 hour bright days, but that is the law. And I believe, I'm pretty sure like in New York, when I was taking my driver's test, that was also the case that, you know, you were required. I don't know if it's like that in every state, but such as life. And for those who are used to right on red, which in some parts of the US, that is the case, there is no right on red anywhere in Iceland. When it comes to drinking and driving, I just need to point out that 
it is legal to drink and drive or be under the influence, whether it's alcohol or, you know, a drug or something like that. And while there is a legal limit, and I believe it's 0.05, it might even be 0.02 now, but it's really, really, really low. Like it's, it's meant purposefully to be low because Icelanders really don't have any tolerance for people drinking and driving. And the fine is immediately 100,000 Icelandic kroner, so somewhere around $700, and loss of the privilege to drive for like four months if you, if you live here, of course. And so, yeah, I don't know if the fine gets any higher for people who are like uh, renting cars, but there are p- places, you know, where people feel like it is acceptable to have had one drink and to drive, but in Iceland, it is taken very seriously. So please do not drink and drive, do not be under the influence and drive. The fines are horrible, but also, you know, you might endanger someone else's life, endanger your own life, and it's just not worth it. Now that I've given you quite a bit of information regarding driving your car in Iceland, all things to consider, and even more information than that, let's go into returning your car, your rental car. And this is, you know, steps-wise, it's pretty simple. If it's possible for you to get back before the place closes, and I think usually the return times are within your, you know, hours of operation for your rental car company, just signing off of the condition of the car. And, you know, they have like the little agreement that you have and making sure that nothing has been an issue with like damage or whatever else. That's just pretty much protocol. But uh, where you drop off your car, just remember that location. Maybe it's a Keplavik, maybe it's at Reykjavik, things like that, whatever makes sense for you. And then because you are allowed to be able to choose like a different drop off than where you had picked up your car. And lastly, making sure the tank is full and or at the same level in which you receive the car, because in your beginning agreement, before you even drive the car, they usually say, like, oh, the tank is full or whatever. And they mark that down onto the piece of paper that you have. And if that's the case, then you, of course, have to bring it back full. But some people do sometimes forget this and it can end up being a surcharge of like 50 euros or something or whatever the cost might be for you not having filled it up. And so it's just like, you know, things that like they seem little, but all the things add up over time if you do not pay attention to them. It's now time for some money saving tips. So if you travel with other people, this is kind of one of my tips I think is really helpful. I mean, of course, traveling solo in Iceland is great. Nothing wrong with that. But if you do travel with other people and you're planning to rent a car, you can split the costs, which of course makes it less expensive. Same with like fuel and everything else. A lot of rental car companies give you a little keychain scanner for gas stations. And even if it's just like 15 kroner per liter or whatever, it is, it can add up to be a significant amount. And so I just recommend using that, whether it's for save on gas or diesel, every little bit helps. Of course, the 10% discount that I mentioned at the beginning. So through Go Car Rental Iceland, if you use my code Iceland10, you will get 10% off your full rental car cost, which is a lot of money <laughs> in my opinion, especially in high season. So this is great for those in high season, but it's, it's great anytime. I mean, who doesn't like saving money? Getting a hybrid car to save on fuel costs is another type of way to save some money on your rental car. And booking in the low season. So as I had already mentioned and kind of gave an example, 
with a drop in costs can be quite significant. I mean, even towards the end of August, you start to see a drop in these costs. So just planning your trip around that. If this is a factor for you, renting a smaller car as opposed to a larger car, of course, this could depend on how many people you have and everything else. But especially if you're going solo and you're not going on an F-road and you can take like a Volkswagen Polo or, or even smaller than that, why not? And it would make it easier for parking if you have to be in downtown Reykjavik as well. But if you're going on an F-road, I mean, there are a different variety of cars that you can choose from there. And also Go Car Rental has this awesome deal where if you decide to book your car for seven days or more, you get one day for free. Those are just some ways for you to save while you're renting a car here, or at least while you're planning into your budget and everything else. So I hope those have been some helpful tips for you because as I've learned them, I've definitely been using them and I see the difference for sure because I'm, because I like to go on a lot of adventures and saving money definitely makes it nice because then I can use it on something else. Like, you know, maybe going to a new location or buying another Lopa Pesa, which is an aesthetic sweater because uh, I have six of them, but my collection is continuously growing. With the Icelandic word of the episode, it's how to say a rental car and you can either use Bila Legu Beat, Bila Legu Beat, which is in essence car rental car, <laughs> or a lot of people just say Legu Beat, which, you know, rental car. And then the random fact of the episode is that Iceland actually tops, according to this autorentalnews.com article, that Iceland ranks as the most expensive country to rent a vehicle at an average of $1,300 per week. So those money-saving tips that I mentioned just a little bit earlier will definitely come in handy because, and again, of course, it could depend on the season in which you're renting the car, but that is the case that, you know, it is a cost that can be quite significant and why not save a little if you're going to come here anyway and you really want to have that adventure and that freedom, which honestly, that's my preference is to be able to drive around however and whenever I want at any time, especially during the summertime, which, you know, if you haven't noticed by now, it's my favorite season. <laughs> so just something to keep in mind. I would like to thank Go Car Rental Iceland for being the sponsor of this episode, this ultimate guide to renting a car in Iceland. I, you know, thoroughly enjoyed creating this. It's a, def it's a lot of information. And so, like I mentioned, you can go onto the show notes of this episode and find, you know, all of the different sections that maybe pertain to you in particular, if there's one to jump around, but I do highly recommend Go Car Rental Iceland, as I'd mentioned. I thoroughly enjoy using them and I think you will as well. They're a local company too. And it kind of gives you that, you know, local experience as well as really great rates that are transparent. And like I mentioned, there's a couple of ways to save money with my discount. And even if you decide to rent for longer than seven days, you get one day for free. So how cool is that? All right. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you.